Hello there, and thanks for joining me on the podcast. Tonight, we're going to look at the issue of irrational thinking. You know, some of us think irrationally. Some of us think illogically. Some of us think emotionally. Some of us think in manners that is just self-destructive and self-defeating. Sometimes we refer to this as stinking thinking. It was in the 1960s that a man by the name of Albert Ellis, psychologist, came up with what he referred to as the ten irrational thought patterns in which we engage, and that we're responsible for mental illness, or responsible for our personal self-defeating behavior, whether it be depression or anxiety or anger, or some other form of self-defeating and self-destructive actions. And he would set up therapy programs, and people would come from all over the world to learn how to think rationally and to stop their stinking thinking, their irrational thoughts, and heal. And he was very successful, very effective. Saw people individually, saw people in groups. New York City was his site. Had his office downstairs, had his apartment upstairs, and worked almost 15 hours a day with patients to help them think more rationally. So let's take a look at this and see if I can help you with some of your self-destructive thought patterns and become a little bit more effective and healthy in the way that you think and the way that you then will feel and behave. Okay? Now let's take a look at what some of these are. And um, there are many. But I'll just take a look at ten of them uh, today. Drawing from the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. This was produced by uh, Dr. Greg Lukanoff and his colleague Jonathan Hyatt. Many other people have contributed to the list of irrational thoughts and what they refer to as distorted automatic thoughts. Here they are. Number one is mind reading. You know, you assume that you know what people think and you assume that you're right without ever having any sufficient evidence or ever trying to validate if your thoughts are actually correct. You mind read other people. You say, he thinks that I'm a loser. He thinks that I'm not attractive. She thinks, you know, that I'm a flake. You know, whatever. I, we read the mind of other people, and then we assume that we're correct. And then, of course, that creates a feeling. That creates an attitude. It creates a self-perception. And it creates the way that we treat ourselves. In this case, negatively. We add to our depression if we think like that. Here's another one. Fortune-telling. That's when we predict the future negatively. Things will get worse, and there are dangers ahead. I'm going to fail the examination. I won't get the job even if I apply. Why, why should I even apply? In other words, we predict the future. We fortune tell the future, and then we act accordingly. If we're going to see the future as a failure, as a hostile place, as a place of self-destruction, we're going to behave that way. Gonna, it's going to impose that kind of emotion upon us. Number three is catastrophizing. That is when we believe that what is going to happen or will happen will be so awful and so unbearable that we won't be able to even stand it. Okay? The apocalypse is coming. I would be terrible if I failed. It would be just terrible if I failed. The world will come to an end. I'll be thrown out of my home. I'll break up with my friends. 
Nobody will love me. Nobody will care for me. Nobody will like me. Nobody will be around me. I'll be avoided by everybody. That's catastrophic thinking. One mistake, one error, one thing that goes wrong, and we think the entire world will come to an end. What about number four, labeling? You assign global negative traits to yourself, and you assign those to others as well. Like, I'm ugly. I'm undesirable. I'm a rotten person. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm unhealthy. You know, whatever it might be, you ascribe certain traits to yourself, and then you act that way. You base your behavior on that. So if you see negative traits, then you start to behave negatively. You have negative attitudes, negative values about yourself or other people if you see them that way as well. Labeling sets the behavior patterns, determines how you behave towards people and how you treat yourself and how you think of yourself. Look at number five, discounting positives. You know, you claim that the positive things that you and other engage in are trivial. You know, you say something, that's what my wife is supposed to do. Why should I thank her or compliment? That's what kids are supposed to do. Why should I thank them or compliment them? So don't discount the positives. Look at the positives for what they are. There may be a moderate degree of positivism. There may be a major degree of positivism. Just to except for what they are. But start thinking a little bit more positively about other people and about yourself. See the good. See the moderately good. See the mildly good in other people. It doesn't have to be enormous or major, just a, even a touch of goodness. Recognize it and acknowledge it. Here's number six, negative feelings. Negative feelings. You focus on almost exclusively on the negatives, and you seldom see the positives. See? You look at other people, and you think, they don't like me. You look at a task, and you say, I can't do it. I'm going to fail. You have an opportunity, and you say, ah, no, I can't do it. I'm going to turn it down because I won't be able to do it. In other words, you always look at opportunities from a negative point of view, and you turn them down. You avoid them. You get away from them. Negative feelings often will predict our behavior, determine our behavior. And we turn down opportunities, and then we wonder why we don't succeed. We wonder why we don't have opportunities in our life that come our way. Because we've turned them down, and we've turned them down over time. Here's number seven, overgeneralizing. You perceive a global pattern of negatives on the basis of one single incident. That's overgeneralizing. You know, you make one mistake and then you say, well, this always happens to me. You make one error and you say, well, I always make errors. You, see? you make one failure and you say, well, I always fail at these kind of things. One person rejects you or one person doesn't spend time with you or avoid you for some reason. Everybody does that. Everybody avoids me. Everybody rejects me. That's overgeneralizing. It's stupid thinking. It's stinking thinking. Here's number eight, dichotomous thinking. You view events or people in an all-or-nothing term. That is, I get rejected by everybody. Everyone hates me. Everyone dislikes me. It was a complete waste of time, you might say. Now, there are things that we do that are a waste of time, to be sure, that's true. But not a complete waste of time. There's always something in it that's good. There's always somebody that does not like you or will 
uh, avoid you or not particularly make friendships with you, but that doesn't mean that you're totally inappropriate or totally undesirable. There may be something about you that they don't like, but not everything. So stop the economist thinking. Stop it. Here's number nine. What about the shoulds? Okay. What about the shoulds? You interpret events in terms of how things should be rather than simply focusing on what is. That is, you might say to yourself, I should do well in this. If I don't, then I'm a failure. I should impress others. I should please my father. I should please my mother. I should please my teacher. I should get an A. I should get 100%. I should succeed in this task. Well, maybe you should, but you know, it isn't 100% pass or fail. It isn't 100% do or die. It isn't 100% successful or unsuccessful. There are things that have come out in terms of gradations. They're relatively successful. You're relatively positive. And do with the best you can, but you don't have to become perfect. You don't have to do things perfectly. Don't live your life on the basis of should. That means your mother's talking to you still. That means your father's talking to you still. When they told you you should do this and you should do that and you should do that, stop that kind of thinking. Do what is appropriate. Do what is adequate. Do what is enough for a particular situation. Then lastly, let me take a look at just what is called personalizing. You attribute a disproportionate amount of the blame, a disproportionate amount of the blame to yourself for negative outcome, for negative events. And you fail to see that certain events are also caused by others. You know, divorce happens. You are not the total cause of a divorce. You have contributed. Others have contributed. But take your share of the blame. And usually it's not 50-50. There's always an imbalance. Many people contribute to a major decision such as divorce. Or it could be that you didn't do so well in examination. Sure, take your share of the blame, but it isn't totally that. See, may, when you have not been accepted in a, a group or you've not been chosen for a particular prize or something, take part of the blame. It's not totally that. There are many factors that contribute to your not being chosen. So don't personalize everything by saying it's all my fault, it's all my success, it's all my failure, it's, it's all my achievement. No, things don't come that way. They come in bits and pieces. Acknowledge your part and then improve it change it as necessary. Okay? That's what's important. Anyway, nice to be with you, and uh, thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast. If you're a parent, go to my website, www.booksbyhedberg.com, and pick up the book, Dr. Teach Me to Parent. And uh, I think you'll find this to be very good, because I have material in there that would help you get in your positive thinking as a parent in dealing with your kids. Okay, bye for now.